0: We open the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 65. We will read the whole psalm together, and the text that we will focus on is verses 9 and 10. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. And unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens, Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and the evening to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Verses 9 and 10. We consider now. Thou visitest the earth, and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn, when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Psalm 65 is a beautiful song of praise, is it not? One that covers a lot of ground. It's a multi-faceted psalm of praise and thanks. Verses 1-4, through four, the psalmist blesses the Lord for the greatest of His gifts. The bounty of His grace. He speaks from personal experience. How iniquity so often prevailed in his life. And yet, God in his mercy purges his transgressions away. Forgiveness, that chief blessing of salvation. How bountiful God is in his grace. How bountiful he is as he causes his people who are unworthy sinners in themselves to approach him. And to dwell in his courts. And there he satisfies them with the goodness of his house. God is bountiful. In his sovereign grace. Then the psalmist. His thoughts carry him. To bless the Lord for his great power. Displayed in the creation and in human life. And that's verses 5 through 8. Here the psalmist sets beside each other two things. That were very opposite to one another in the Hebrew mind. First he speaks of the mountains picture of strength and security and firmness. Something that is far beyond human power or control. And God, God is the one who set the mountains in place. God who is girded with almighty strength. And then there is the sea which in the Hebrew mind was a fearful place. A dark place. Tempestuous place. And yet God is the one who by his power is able to still the noise of that wild, restless, untamable sea. What power belongs to God. Then comes the last part of the psalm, verse 9 to the end. Where the psalmist's thoughts linger upon the beauty of the natural world that he observes around him. And his heart is stirred to praise and thank the Lord as he sees the power of God at work for his people in the creation. As he observes general revelation and observes the bounties of providence. He sees the soft, quiet power of God's hand as providence. The mighty creator is also the caretaker, indeed the cultivator of his creation. And the Psalmist sees in this the fatherly love of God uniquely for his people, providing for them and the things that they need. The God who does the awe-inspiring work of salvation. The God who does the awe-inspiring work of creation. Is the God who continues to do the awe-inspiring work of providence. Caring for his people. Down to those most ordinary things. Preparing the ground. For planting. Sending the rain. To nourish the earth. And it's this last part of the psalm that we're going to reflect upon a short while this evening for this prayer day service. We're going to reflect on something that should remain awe-inspiring to us as well. The fact that God visits the earth and causes it to bring forth its fruits abundantly. We gather for prayer day, and the purpose of this service is to ask the Lord's blessing upon a new growing season. And as we do so, we come to God in trust. We come to God depending upon Him, knowing that He is the one who is able to provide for our needs. He is the Creator, and He is the great agriculturalist. And the entire world. Is his field. A field he prepares. And he cultivates. To supply the needs. You and me. And of his people. And of his creatures. And So as we pray tonight. And as we trust. Express our trust and thanks to God. Let the first verse of the psalm also be true of us. It's worth our time to be here. Let praise wait for God in Zion. Let us praise Him, our Father Provider. Give Him thanks. Depend upon Him. So we're going to look now at verses 9 and 10. And the theme is the leading words of verse 9 Thou visitest the earth. Two points His work. Our response. Thou visitest the earth. His work, our response. The text sets before us an aspect of God's providence. One of God's continuous works in his creation. The text says that God visits the earth. And in that expression, the text sets before us the biblical view of the workings of nature. The natural world in which we live is a complex, it's an amazing thing. But all of its workings are at bottom the work of God. And the workings of His providence. His providence which, as we confess, is His hand. His hand which has never left the creation that he called into being by the word of his power. His almighty and everywhere present hand. His almighty everywhere present power whereby he governs and upholds all things. God visits the earth. Now that language in the text may strike us as somewhat surprising, somewhat strange. When we think of a visitation or someone visiting, perhaps we think of someone who has been far away for a while. Someone like an out-of-town family member or an out-of-town friend who we have not seen in a long time, yet who for a certain period of time comes to town, visits with us, maybe stays at our home before leaving again. But of course that is not the idea of God visiting the earth. The idea is not that God is a distant God who stays far away. And then at certain times pops into his creation to do a thing or two. Before he makes his exit and goes back to the far away nether regions of heaven. Yes it is true. Our God is transcendent and infinitely exalted above the creation. And yet nonetheless he is a God who is very near who visits the earth and the idea of the text when it describes god as visiting the earth is this his visits to the earth describe specific acts of his providence in the creation this language of the text teaches us his divine attendance upon the world which he continually holds in his hand. The rhythms and the workings of the natural world are simply the effects and the fruits of God's purposeful, orderly visitation upon his creation. He is not the distant watchmaker God of the deists, but he is a God who in a very real sense has his hands. In the dark soil of the earth. Continually. From the rising to the setting of the sun. It is the work of God. The coming and the going of each season. Is the work of God. All of the happenings in the world. From each gust of wind to drop of rain. It is all the work of God. The psalmist sees this. And with Amazement, he exclaims, thou visitest the earth. That's his theological description of what his eyes see all around him. As he looks upon those hills clad in green. As he looks upon the growing grain. As he sees the flocks that clothe the lands round about him. His explanation for what he sees, what he in fact sees by faith, is this. Thou visitest the earth. Do we see that, beloved, in the natural world? So easy not to in the busyness of life, in our modern age. Let us not let our eyes fail to see that all around us as God works to change winter to spring, as God again works to cause green to clothe the countryside, as the plants begin to grow, as the April showers begin to come, let us see and let us exclaim and let us worship, Thou visitest the earth. But now, Psalm 65 And our text now in particular celebrates and sets before us specific visitations of the Lord, namely his providential care for his people by cultivating the earth so that it brings forth fruits and foods to supply the needs of his people and of his creatures. Really, verses 9 and 10 set before us the first part of the agricultural cycle. And then the last part of the psalm sets before us the remaining half. In verses 9 through the end of the psalm through verse 13. We see that entire agricultural cycle from the very preparations for planting through planting to the harvest. And what these verses set before us is this. The entire agricultural cycle of this world. Whether in ancient Palestine or modern America. It's the work of God. The agricultural cycle. Is God visiting the earth. For us his people. It is the work of God. And that's where verse 9 begins. Verse 9 begins. The very start. Of a new growing season. And shows us that the growing season has its birth in the sovereign work of the great cultivator whose hands are in the soil. God is the one who prepares the earth to receive seed so that it may grow. Verse 9 says, Thou visitest the earth and then... At the end of verse 9, Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Corn here doesn't refer to the yellow kerneled crop that we are so accustomed to seeing in the fields of West Michigan and the Midwest United States, but corn here in the King James refers to the common kinds of barley and wheat that were grown in Palestine. But here we have a, a generic term for crops, and so all crops are included here. God prepares them crops. God prepares for us crops. But now, what does the last part of verse 9 says? When thou hast so provided for it. And that last expression describes how God himself makes provision that there may be such crops. He prepares the soil for those crops. He prepares the earth so that there may be a growing season. And he himself then brings that growing season to pass. The entire agricultural cycle from its birth to its harvest is the work of of our God who visits the earth. God is the farmer and the world is his field. The Lord himself who prepares the earth for the new growing season nourishes that earth and nourishes the seeds that are planted in the prepared earth by sending his rain, rain which is so fundamental for any crop growing, any agricultural activity such that without rain comes drought and famine and misery How important is the rain? And no human being can conjure up the rain. No human being has the power to make even a single raindrop fall. We depend upon God. God, the creator, our provider, who is also the rain sender. For as verse 9 says, Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God which is full of water. And what we have here is a beautiful poetic expression for rainfall. It's the river of God. God who is the maker and the Lord of all waters. As it were, he gathers the waters in his hands and he sends them whithersoever he will. Just as he fills the seas, he builds the clouds and he empties the storehouses of snow in the winter And then he causes that snow to melt with the coming of spring. And he opens the windows of heaven and sends his rain forth from his chambers where he stored it. And every drop of water is at his command. Science has taught us a lot about the water cycle. And this wonderful working of the natural world. And the more the Christian understands about the wonderful workings of the natural world, the more we praise the God whose wonderful workings it is. Because it's not some unguided natural process, it's not the accidental byproduct of an evolution. It is the operation of the invisible hand of the God who visits the earth. When water evaporates, That's God calling to that water, come. And when the clouds form, it is God commanding, go. And it is God who makes the clouds gray as he loads them up with his water and sends them on their mission to deliver his water where he would have it to go, somewhere upon the field of the earth that he cultivates. And each droplet is a part of that river of God which is full of water that nourishes the earth unto the springing of new life. And verse 10 then carries on that idea. Carries it further. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Here we have an Continued description of the Lord of the rains. As he brings those rains. And as the farmer of the world. He uses the rain to cultivate his worldwide field. There's a clarification of translation to make here. If you look at verse 10. The word ridges. And the word furrows. Those words should really switch places. For some reason, the King James translates this verse a little inaccurately. A better translation of the verse would be this. Thou waterest the furrows thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the ridges thereof what this is describing is how God, with his gentle reins, makes the farmer's field fully suitable to bring forth an abundant crop. The farmer has gone out into his field, and with the iron blade of his plow, he has cut through the earth, now in Palestine, Prior to the coming of the first rains, that ground would have been baked hard by the hot sun. And that's why the rains are so important to soften the earth. And to continue to soften it even after it's been plowed so that the rains break apart the hard clods of earth. The farmer has gone through his field and the iron blade of his plow has cut deep furrows into that field. Deep furrows into which the seeds will be planted. And now between each of those furrows are ridges of earth. So you picture that in your mind. A newly plowed field. That seeds will be planted in. And though it is man who is hard at work in that field, we see him. It is not man. Who is producing the crops. It is not man. Who is making the growing season happen. But it is God. Who visits the earth. God sends his rains. And the rain fills those furrows. With nourishing water. That will be needed. To make those seeds germinate and sprout. And the rain settles the ridges. That is. It presses down those mounds of earth. So that they fill up. The furrows and the plain, or rather the field, takes on again a plain, smooth appearance. The psalmist is describing the beginnings of agriculture, planting. And he's saying, it's all God who visits the earth, who sends his rain, who nourishes the seeds. Who fills the furrows and settles the ridges. And finally, as verse 10 ends, blesses the springing thereof. The springing, the first sprouting of a new crop as it pokes its way up through the soft soil and unfurls its leaves To reach up and embrace the sun. God blesses the springing thereof. Meaning it is God's powerful word. That causes the springing thereof. Just as it is God's word that calls the droplets of water to himself, and God who sends those droplets of water to do his bidding, so it is God, the Lord and giver of life, who calls each plant out of the soil. He blesses the springing thereof. It is the hand of the great cultivator that is in the dark soil. When we see the fields, Begin to be green again with new life. And the great cultivator, by his everywhere present and almighty power, cares for those plants. So that later in the year when we drive by or we walk by those same fields and the corn is tall over our heads and the leaves are dark green and we see the yellow kernels or we see the brown grain ready to be harvested. It is because God has brought it forth. And as verse 11 says, God crownest the year with his own goodness. Thou visitest the earth. That's the growing season that we're entering into, beloved. Let us all see and reflect upon the importance of giving God the glory for this. And let us give Him the glory with the psalmist. It is He who is visiting the earth yet again. And in that we see His care for us, in that we see His faithfulness to us, in that. We see something of our Father who attends to the needs of his children. Yes, giving us the most important things. Where the psalm begins. Grace, salvation in Jesus Christ. But also the Father who provides all of our earthly needs. His work. And so now, let's for a few more minutes... Think upon the response. There is a response that is implied. Strongly implied. In the declarations of this text. In the descriptions of this text. As it paints for us. The invisible work of God in creation. As he brings about yet another cycle. Of the seasons. Four parts of our response I want to point out. Beginning with this. We're called to acknowledge God. To acknowledge Him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. To acknowledge Him as our Father and as our provider. To acknowledge that God is the one who grows our crops and gives us our daily bread. To acknowledge that we depend upon Him entirely. Let us acknowledge that and then let that knowledge shape our attitudes and the way we live in the world. Notice how the text impresses this upon us. Impresses upon us that the growing season is the work of God. And the text impresses this upon us with the repetition of the pronoun thou. Starting in verse 9 and continuing through the rest of the psalm. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest. The springing thereof—that's the golden thread through the text and through this portion of the psalm. The repetition, Thou God, all of Him, let Him, let Him stand out before us tonight. Let us look unto Him, the God who is the farmer of the world's fields, the cultivator of the earth, and let us look to Him for all of our needs. And let us depend upon Him to give profit to the labor of our hands. As the familiar psalm says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Equally, we could say, unless the Lord, the field shall bless, they labor in vain that plant it. Without God, all our labor and toil is in vain. Without God's reign, man cannot bring forth even one little plant. Man may dedicate all his efforts, all his resources to the task of supplying his needs, but without God, and without God's hand, bringing forth for him the fruits of God's creation, it is all for naught. It is God who prepares the earth before any human finger ever touches it. And it is God whose own hands Bring forth the fruits of that earth. And we as it were feed. From the hand of our father. Let us acknowledge that. And give him the praise. That in the first place. But now secondly. Acknowledging this. Prompts us to pray. Prompts us to pray the more earnestly. Prayer is childlike acknowledgement of our dependence upon our Father. Prayer is turning to our Father for those needs. And prayer is our purpose for gathering as a congregation tonight, prayer day, that we may, with one heart, one mouth, beseech our Father for the bounties of the earth. Let that be our prayer. And let us not neglect To pray. For these things. That's easy to do in our day and age. The application is so often made on prayer day. But it's one that bears repeating. In our our modern society. We're at least many of us. Removed from the earth. We don't have as immediate a sense. As our forebearers did. How much we depend upon the soil. And yet. We need those fruits of the earth just as much as our forefathers and foremothers did generations ago. We need to think about that and not let our technology, our supermarkets, our modern transportation systems, our supply chains, our global economy, not let all of those things lead us to take our bread and our crops for granted as if it will just be there or it will automatically come to us. Let us be conscious that God must give it to us from the soil so that With the same fervency as we see in the psalm, we pray, Heavenly Father, visit the earth. Heavenly Father, in faithfulness to thy promise, let seed time and harvest not cease. Enrich our land with the river of God. Water our furrows abundantly. Settle the ridges of our fields and bless the springing thereof. That it may yield to us and to our children. The bounties of thy creation. We pray that today. And prayer day reminds us to pray it every day. Third, we're pointed to trust. We're pointed to our God that we may trust him. Trust him to provide, yes, but also trust him To bless us and to bless the things he gives us such that they truly profit us. And here the gospel comes into the picture. Because as we know from the scriptures such as Psalm 73. The bounties of the earth are not truly good to the sinner who is under God's wrath. But every crop that springs up for the wicked only serves his greater condemnation. For every good gift of God he takes and he does not receive it with thankfulness. And he uses it in the service of self and sin and only aggravates his guilt. All of the good things of the earth, the growing season and the crops that come forth, our daily bread will only truly prosper us with God's blessing. And so we pray that as the Lord would bless the springing thereof of the earth, that he would also bless those fruits unto us. And we pray that in trust and confidence. Because we know our God hears our prayers, and we know our Lord will bless these things unto us. For Jesus' sake. He's our Father, Why is he our father? For the sake of his only begotten son. And the work of his only begotten son. And because of the work of Christ. God the father cultivates his field which is the whole earth. So that from his field he might feed his children. And use those fruits for their good and for their strengthening. For Jesus sake. For in Christ God visited the earth in grace. The greatest of all visitations. More marvelous yet than the visitations of his providence is the visitation of his grace. He visited us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh. He sent Christ as a blessed rain upon us who by nature are dead sinners. Who of ourselves are like the dry, dead, hard, lifeless earth. God through Christ has prepared for us things far better than corn. Eternal salvation. Christ went to the death of the cross for you and for his people. He went up upon the ridge of Calvary after furrows had been cut in his back. And the blood of the Son of God fell from that accursed tree upon the dry dust of Calvary. But that blood was shed for the healing of God's people. For the remission of our sins. That they might be purged away. That we might be children and heirs of God. And that the fruits of the earth may truly profit us. And that those fruits of the earth might be the smallest of God's blessings. For the Christ upon the cross earned for us an eternal inheritance of glory. To be enjoyed with our Father forever in heaven. In the new creation wherein righteousness shall dwell. Like a seed Christ died and was planted in the earth. And God blessed the springing thereof. For Christ arose with new life. And with the fruits of his finished work. To bestow in richest abundance upon his people. And his spirit was poured out on Pentecost. There is the river of God. Which flows in all of its abundance. To you and to me. And to all who believe in his name. Filling us with his blessings. And the river of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, softens the soil of our hearts and blesses the springing of the new life of Christ, the springing of new fruits unto the glory of God. That's the greatest visitation of God to the earth. And because of that visitation, for His elect people All of the other visitations as described in our text will truly profit us. And so pray in trust, pray in confidence that you are blessed in Jesus Christ. Whether God in his fatherly hand bestows upon you little or much, By way of the things of this earth, you have the river of salvation blessings, a river which shall never run dry. And if this God, who spared not his own Son, but delivered us up for, or delivered him up for us all, if that's what God has done for us, shall he not also with him freely give us all things according to his wisdom and his will? Yes, he will. He feeds the birds, he clothes the lilies. Surely he will provide for you. Trust in him as you acknowledge him and as you pray to him. And then finally, receive. Receive with thanksgiving. Whatever comes to you from his fatherly hand, be it much, be it little. It is for your good. It comes in his love. When he sends much out of his fatherly generosity, give him thanks. When he sends little, receive it with patience and with thanks. And humble yourself and lift your eyes up to God and contemplate the true riches that you have in Christ. Even should there be famine, even if there should be drought. Every year of the believer is crowned with the goodness of God even in the absence of the fruits of the earth, there is the presence of all of the fruits of the harvest of salvation won for us by Jesus Christ. And those we cherish above all. God crowns his people with good. Acknowledge him, pray to him, trust him. Give thanks to him each and every day, looking to Father for all your needs. Amen. Our faithful God and heavenly Father, we thank thee for this beautiful psalm and for the words we could reflect upon tonight. We pray that thou wilt visit the earth and grant us a fruitful growing season. We pray that thou wilt visit us by means of thy word tonight to strengthen our faith, that we may the more steadfastly look to Christ and rest in him, and in faith receive from thee whatever thou art pleased to give, knowing it is good, knowing that thou dost care for us. We ask this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.